0: So the first Bible reading um, comes from Genesis uh, 15, verses 1 to 20. That is on your pew Bibles, um, on page 14. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, What can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chal- Chaldeans to give you to this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You have, however will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun has set and the darkness has fallen, a smoking, a s- fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, I guess I'll finish, Amorites, Canaanites, uh, Gergashites, and
1: Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. So the second Bible reading for tonight is coming from Romans chapter four, verses eighteen to twenty-five, and can be found on one thousand one hundred and eighty No, that's the last one. One thousand one hundred and eighty-two. No, I was right the first time. (laughs) (sighs) All right, so eighteen to twenty-five. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thanks be to God for his word.
2: Um, Genesis 15 is where we're going to spend most of our time. It would be great if you could open a Bible and have it near you, Genesis 15. Uh, good evening, by the way. Okay, I'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for your spirit given to us. We pray that you would work by your word and spirit uh, that we might know Jesus better and trust him more from this Old Testament part of your word. Father, we utterly depend on you. Father, please help us. And in all things that happen, Father, please bring glory to yourself. I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, to begin with, a poem. I do poems very often, I do a poem today. A poem by Adrian Plass. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, Your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen, I think. I think, amen. Amen, I think. I think I say, amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you run me through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes. That sounds terrific, Lord. I say, amen, I think. But, Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I I would really prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said. You could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen. A bit. A bit. Amen. Amen. A bit. A bit. Amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made my mind up. And I say, amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and I thought a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You'll need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. Amen. I need to get it clear. Can run through that again? You say I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll, I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, Amen. I quit. Jesus says, Mark chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, he, she must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. My question is, can he be trusted? Luke 13, Jesus says, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. My question is, can he be trusted? God says again and again in his word, there will come one day a new heavens and a new earth and eternity that is worth giving this present life up for? And my question is, can he be trusted? Seems to me it's the same question Abram must have been asking by the time he got to Genesis 15. But having left his homeland, you remember last week, having left everything, you remember last week, on the strength of God's Promises for the future of land and offspring and blessing, do you remember? Promises he has already waited something like 10 years for without seeing fulfillment. He must have asked, Can he be trusted? And in Genesis 15, we begin to see the answer. Now you'll notice uh, our chapter is broken into two parts, uh, each with the same basic shape. It's there on your outlines. Hopefully that's helpful. First comes a promise from God. Second, a problem from Abram. And third, the promise from God all over again. And in between those two scenes, it's Abram's response and and God's assessment of his response. And we pick it up, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles handy, you'll see the chapter begins with God taking the initiative. And in a vision, the word of the Lord coming to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, in the verses immediately before this, uh, to rescue his nephew Lot, Abram has just attacked four powerful eastern kings. And, and quite possibly, at this moment, a, a, kind of a retaliatory counterstrike is already being planned. He's also just turned back in the verses immediately, immediately before these, just turned back a reward from another king who who benefited from Abram's victory. And so here Abram is under threat. Here Abram is without the reward he could have had. And God comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I, Abram, am your protection. I am your provision. To which Abram replies, "To you see verse 2? Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Oh, sovereign Lord, what good is your promised success without a successor? Oh, sovereign Lord, what good is your promised inheritance without an inheritor to pass it on to? As it stands, a servant, oh Lord, will take all I own. What can you possibly give me when you have given me no children? And so God turns back to Abram and says, You bug, you insignificant worm. How dare you question me? How dare you doubt my promise? Or at least that's what he would have said if he was like the so called gods of so many other so called religions. Religions where you can't question God and you can't speak to God. I mean, not really. I mean, you can sort of chant your mantras over and over and you can call them prayers, but they're not really speaking to God. Certainly not like this. Not from the depths of your heart not laying your soul bare to a God who you expect to care and hear you, to a God who actually responds like this. See verse 4? No mention of bugs. The word of the Lord came to him. This man, and you notice, God refuses to even name the other man. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside, and I think this is so great, don't you think? I kind of imagine God putting his arm around Abram, taking him out and pointing to the sky. And he said, Look up to the heavens. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them, and, and no, Abram can't. He said to him, So shall your offspring be. Oh, oh sovereign Lord, Abram asked, what can you give me? God replies, I can give you that. And I will give you that. And so verse six, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Despite the circumstances that seem certain to get in the way, despite the fact that Romans 4 tells us his body was as good as dead, Abram could and Abram did trust God. And God said, and this is so desperately important, for every single person who has ever lived since, God said, that is right. That is how you are to respond to me. That's how it works between you and me, me and you. Not by your initiative or your work or your religion, your actions, but but by my initiative and my word and my promise which you receive with the empty hands of faith. See, it's clear actually in the way this chapter is set out that, that Abram's response, it's not just for Abram. It's that this is a model for everyone, this model of belief. The way it stands there, so you see, smack bang in the middle of that repeated pattern of, of promise, problem, promise. And the other side, promise, problem, promise. That's supposed to tell you this is not just for Abram. This is for everyone always. And then the way the New Testament authors grab a hold of this verse, Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, James chapter 2, that tells you this response. It's not just for Abram. This is the way everyone is supposed to do it. You know, they say when the, the first missionary went to what we now call Ni Vanuatu, formerly New Hebrides, a man named John Patton, just a handsome fellow there, um, one of the first things he said about doing was to translate the Gospel of John. But he kept coming up to a word that, that he couldn't find the equivalent in the New Hebridean language. What word was that? It was the word believe. Which I want to say is a fairly important word to get right. If you're going to translate the Gospel of John, the Bible anyway. But he and his language helper, try as they might, they couldn't find an appropriate equivalent. Anyway, time went on and one day he and his helper had been trekking and hunting together and they came back to camp exhausted, end of the day, and the language helper just kind of collapsed into his hammock and Peyton said, That! Tell me that! What you just did, collapsing with all your weight into the hammock, explain that to me. And that's what the language helper did. And that's what Peyton used to translate the world believe. Collapsing with all your weight. You see, that's what Abraham did with the promise of God. That's what we are to do with the promises of God, to collapse into them with all our weight. To trust them with all that we have. Just as Abram did. Well, anyway, Genesis 15, you'll see, God goes on, and so does Abram, from verse 7. He, God, also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. Here we go again. But Abram said... Oh, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So just as he had for the promise of children, so also for the promise of land, Abram actually has some very good reasons to doubt. After all, the land is full, Mary told us, verse 19, of Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. And this is the land you're going to give me, O sovereign Lord. See, again, God gives Abram a promise. And again, Abram raises a problem. Indeed, the so-called model of faith Abram... He questions the promise of God. Did you see it? He questions the God of the promise. And my question is, did he do the wrong thing? Having done what was the model of right, just two verses earlier, does Abram now do wrong? Does he rebel against God? Does he act in unbelief? And also, therefore, we when we too have questions when we too have doubts I remember a blog article not so long ago it started this way I have a dirty little secret you always read on when it starts like that something I'm ashamed to admit you see I sometimes struggle with doubt I've heard Christians admit to adultery theft violence lying but I rarely hear them admit doubting. It's the thing that must not be named. The unforgivable sin. The question is, is he right? After all, that's why we hide our questions so often, isn't it? It's why we hide our doubts, don't we? Because surely questioning God is the same as rejecting God, isn't it? And doubting God, it's the same as denying God, isn't it? No. Not for Abram then. Not for us now. Now the genuine belief always, I take it, comes with questions. Genuine belief always admits its doubts. Because genuine belief is always based on evidence. And so is always willing and ready to investigate that evidence it depends upon. See, unbelief, on the other hand, it's not like that. Unbelief, which is so different to doubt, says, I don't want to know. I refuse to know. La, 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 I'm not listening to you, God. I refuse to live my life with any reference to your promises or to you, God. That's unbelief. Unbelief avoids and leads away from God. See, not so a believer's doubt or a believer's question. They do what Abram did. Did you see in the verses? They come to God with their questions looking for answers. They come to God with their doubts, looking for assurance. See, and that's what Paul can say in Romans chapter 4, which threw me for a bit, having just read Genesis 15, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Is that how you would have summarised Genesis 15? But it's true. He didn't unbelieve. He trusted God even as he brought his questions to him. Even as he brought his doubts to him. And we should too. We've got to be willing to be real about our faith and ask our questions to each other and to God. To admit our doubts to one another and to God so our questions can be answered and our doubts can be dealt with. Well, Avon raises his problem. And again, God repeats his promise. This time, in a kind of graphic kind of way, he tells Abram, go fetch some animals, particular kinds of animals, and that's what Abram does. And Abram seems to know what's going on because he comes back and without any further instruction, he cuts them down the middle. And then he goes to sleep, as you do. Well, well, well with some serious help from God, it seems. See there, verse 12? Abram, a bit like, do you remember, Adam in the garden when God took his rib? Abram falls into a deep sleep A thick, dreadful darkness comes over him. It's the kind of sleep you usually need an anesthesiologist to help you into, I think. And God repeats his promise for land. With all the detail of how it'll happen, do you see it? Through the events of the Exodus, do you recognise them? The 400 years in captivity, their rescue out with the riches. God repeats his promise. And then something strange happens, as if it wasn't strange enough already. Verse 17, when the sun had set, darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot, which is something like a barbecue, and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. As Abraham sleeps, smoke appears and fire appears and it just kind of walks between the animals cut in two. And I don't know about you, and I'm not sure about Abraham, but I'm thinking, what's that about? The very next words tell us, do you see? Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. See, apparently in ancient Near East, when you wanted to enter into a contract, you can go down to the solicitor's office and take out your pen. Um, when you wanted to seal an already existing relationship, you wanted, when you wanted to make crystal clear just how binding your promises were, what you would do is this. You would take some animals, as Abram does. You would cut them in half, as Abram does. And you and the other party would walk together between the pieces and symbolically you would say, if we don't keep our promises, if you don't hold your side of the bargain, may what happen to those animals happen to me. May what happened to those animals happen to you. It's kind of an ancient Near Eastern version of cross my heart and hope to die, you know. Over my dead body, you know, that kind of. It's kind of modernised. I was trying to think, how would you do this? I'm so thinking, you can imagine me and my boy Jacob making some solemn agreement, maybe about the tidiness of his room, some binding oath between he and I. And just so he knows how binding this is, how serious I am, I say to Jacob, go fetch the cat. (laughs) And a saw, probably an apron. Both parties, do you see it? Bound by death. To keep their word, except in this covenant, I wonder if you notice something really weird happens again. If it's not weird enough, something non-covenantal. Well, no, it's covenantal, but something different to the other covenants. See, did you notice there is no both parties here? Where's Abraham when all this is going on? He's in a deep sleep over here somewhere. He's a passive bystander to the actions. And so instead, do you see, it's only God. Represented by the smoke and the fire, just as he will be. Not so long away, well, 400 years away, on Mount Sinai. Just as he will be. Do you remember the the, the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night leading out of Exodus? He, represented by the fire and the smoke, it is only God who binds himself to this promise. Marching between the pieces this will depend only and entirely on God. Abraham's descendants will receive this land. It says it depends only entirely on God that we receive our land. Do you realise that? The new land of the new creation, the land the book of Hebrews suggests, is at least the final fulfilment of this promise to Abram. That's how passionate God is about his promises. Over my dead body, he says. So let's return to our opening question. Can God be trusted? Well, the answer from Genesis 15, which I guess you would have guessed from fairly early on in the talk, is it's yes, but importantly, in as much as he has promised, because he has promised, and because we must. See, first of all, I want to say yes, God can be trusted, in as much as he has promised. I don't know if it's this growing trend among Christians these days, to act as if faith is the thing that gets things done all by itself, regardless of what you want done. As if faith is really just the power of positive thinking. So as long as you believe it, and you believe it hard enough, then by God it will happen. You hear it in the, in the Joyce Meyers, the, the Joel Olsteins, and the... Best life now in the latest little offering that I declare. 31 promises to declare over your life. I don't want to say you hear it in us sometimes too. In our attempts to encourage, sometimes even in the way we pray, when a friend comes to us and they're sick or they're sad, and they've lost their job, and we say, have faith. Your faith. Your faith. That will make it all better. That that will get you well. That will get you the job. Well, sometimes in our prayers, when we claim things from God, even good things, the salvation of friends, family, the the physical well-being of missionaries overseas, but, but things God has not explicitly promised to us. Good things to ask for, of course. Good things to pray for, absolutely. But not ours to claim unless God has explicitly promised them to us. Do you remember again how how Paul reflected on Abram and his faith? Romans chapter 4. Abram was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's what he put his faith in. Not what he wished God would do, not what he hoped God would do, but what God had promised he would do. And that's what we can claim. I think we had an excellent example of that in our prayers this evening, actually. I don't know if you heard right at the start. Stephen claims our right relationship with God through the covenant promises he's made. I oh, say so we can claim that. God has promised those those who Jesus died for, those who trust in him, we have covenant relationship with him. We are right with him. We can claim that. What we can't claim is the things he hasn't promise to us just because we want them. Second, we trust God because he has promised. I wonder if you notice know the way God persuaded Abraham at the start of the chapter when Abraham brought his doubts to him. You know, was it some great sign, some miracle to manipulate belief or was it said some well-constructed logic, you know, an impenetrable, apologetic? And now, did you notice it was simply with the repetition of his promise? With a reminder to Abram of just how passionately God is committed to his promise. Do you remember, I would die, he said, rather than see my promise broken. It's the promises of God that convince us of the promises of God. Because we're in such a much better place than Abram, aren't we? I mean, on this side of the cross, we've seen God go one better than there what he did in Genesis 15. We've seen him not only commit his life to keeping his promises, we've seen him in the Lord Jesus on the cross give his life to the keeping of his promises. I remember seeing a great Christian poster once that read this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I remember really liking that poster. But it could go one better, couldn't it? With a big dirty line through the middle phrase. Oh, come on. It didn't work. Pretend there's a line through the middle phrase. Instead reading, God said it. That settles it. And so I believe it. God never, ever, ever breaks his promises and that's why we trust him and the promises he's made. And we also do it because we must. Romans 4 from verse 23. The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone but also for us to whom God will also credit righteousness right with him for us who believe in him. Who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. What was right for Abram is still right for us. Indeed, it's the only right way to relate to God. We trust him in as much as he's promised, because he's promised, and because we must. Well, we began with that poem from Adrian Plass. We didn't read it all the way through. So for a special treat, get some more of the poem. Picking up from where we left off, the author says this. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you. But I don't think religion's a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion, then, and think about my son. And tell me if you're man enough to trust what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need? Man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear? To battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end? That moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? And are you man enough to even hold your tongue... Man enough to cry when nails break through your body? Are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain, wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. I said, O oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you can be fully and completely trusted. We rejoice that we can trust every promise you have made, that we can obey every call of your command, that we can look forward to a guaranteed hope for the future because you have promised it. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in us, that we would say our amen to the call you have placed on our life because we know we can trust you. In as much as you've promised, because you have promised, and because we know we must. And pray these things for Jesus' precious sake. Amen.